Today on Make Impact, we have Scott Shirley, former Penn State football player and co-founder and CEO of Pledget. Scott is also the founder and executive director of Uplifting Athletes, a nonprofit organization that inspires the rare disease community through the power of sport. Tune in to hear more about how Scott turned personal tragedy into fueling passion and helping others. From Make Films, you're listening to Make Impact, a podcast about creative problem solving and the leaders who are changing their industries for the better. Here's your host, filmmaker and entrepreneur, Derek Diener. Hey, well, thanks, Scott, for coming on the podcast today. I'm really excited to talk to you and hear about all the all the great things you've been doing recently and really your journey to get to this point. It's been fun to get to know you as a friend and also as a colleague and a client, too, and I love watching your journey, and so thanks for coming on. Yeah, absolutely. So I, what I'd love to do is kind of ask you a few quick questions to get uh, you know our listeners to get to know you a bit better. So uh, we'll just kind of jump in, and I'd love to know uh, where are you from originally? Yeah, I grew up in uh, Enola, Pennsylvania. I went to East Pennsboro High School here right outside of the Harrisburg area. Okay. And how would you explain your perfect day? Huh. <laughs> um. <laughs> Sleeping in until the sun comes up. Yeah. yeah. Uh, getting in a workout. Uh, getting some work done. I love what I do. So work um, is a passion. It is a hobby. Um, and then spending time with family, uh, whether that's at you know baseball practice, soccer practice, or taking a long walk. That's awesome. And uh, so what's an interesting fact that not a lot of people would know about you? Uh Usually the icebreaker I use is that I was a character in a video game. Um, and that's a, a roundabout way to say that I played college football at Penn State. And, um, you know, in the 2002-2003 EA Sports uh, uh, yeah. NCAA football game, you could you could play as me. So oh, that's, cool. that's, uh, that's usually my icebreaker. Nice. I like that. I like that. Did you play as yourself sometimes? Oh, yeah. 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 Oh, yeah. That's pretty cool. That's a pretty cool yeah. uh pretty cool experience not everybody gets to do that's pretty amazing it's funny though because uh you know thinking about what computer graphics were 17 18 years ago and my mom was convinced that it looked just like me uh, (laughs) yeah if you look at it now it looks just like every other player on the on the field oh that's funny i'd love to jump into your story a bit and if you can tell me you know i know a lot of these answers but i'm just going to ask you sure um if you could tell me, why did you start uplifting athletes? Tell me that story. We'd be remiss to say, um, not not to say that, um, you know, as you've helped us tell this story in the past, it's been really cool for our kids to get to see it. It's been a great kind of archive, kind of a chronicle. So even with our wedding, you, you guys produced our wedding. And mm-hmm. for our anniversary, uh, Holden, our seven-year-old, loves to watch it. Uh, he's a big fan of, of your work, and, and we're you. appreciative of of you helping to, to tell our story and, and kind of continue uh, the legacy, uh, really that the, the legacy of my dad, which is is the impetus for for uplifting athletes. So, uh, as you know, when I was playing football at Penn State, uh, my dad was diagnosed with rare cancer. Uh, we yeah. went all over the country looking for answers, looking for help. Nobody could do anything. So finally, we decided to do something. And my teammates and I uh, started a weightlifting fundraiser as a way to attract mm-hmm. fans and media, tell the story about the challenges that rare disease patients face. And, um, you know, what we had underestimated was our ability to, to mobilize fans and impact and inspire the rare disease community with hope. Uh, so that fundraiser uh, was 
kind of the launching point for Uplifting Athletes, which was the charity that we created to uh, franchise that fundraiser around the country. Uh, over the last 20 years, uh, Uplifting Athletes has had more than a $400 million impact on the rare disease community. Wow. That's yeah. amazing. That's amazing, Scott. Wow. twenty In 20 years, it's been 20 years? That's amazing. Well, yeah, I'm, I'm rounding. It was, it was, uh, 2003 was, was the beginning. So 2020 was the 18th year. Yeah. Well, it's still, I mean, that's, that's still amazing. And 400 yeah. million, the impact that that has, uh, on research for. And, the, and the, the cool thing about that is it's, it's impacted a macro level. Um, you know, it's systemic change, but it's also an impact on a personal level. And, and, you know, you've been with me to tell some of those stories too. Oh, yeah. You know, whenever you can, can witness the, the life change in the patients, um, it's, yeah. there's really not much else in life that you can experience. Oh yeah, I know. So, and yeah. I mean, as, as, as you know, too, I mean, you know, eight, nine years ago, or I mean, uh, when we worked together on some of those stories and over the past eight, nine years or 10 years, um, you know, I then went through a, not a rare disease, but I went through colon cancer three years ago and, yeah. and it was, I feel like I was better, I don't know, prepared mentally and, and because of the conversations that, you know, we had and I had with, uh, you know, the supporters and the patients that went through kind of uplifting athletes. So, um, so I'm appreciative of, of the opportunity to have those, com those, maybe those challenging conversations with, with you and people and learning about people's stories. Cause I feel like when, then when you go through it yourself and you're inspired by other people, you say, okay, well, you know, yeah. I can, I can fight this too. I, I met all these other people that went through it and had a harder road than I did. And I can, if I can't do it, then what, you know, I, I'm not showing, I'm not like learning from them. So it was a challenge for me, um, you know, definitely. But uh, so thank you for that inspiration. Yeah. Yeah. I, I don't think you can underestimate the, um, the importance of being able to inspire people with hope. And at the end of the day, I think that's what we were uniquely positioned to do. Yeah. Um, and then even your story, you know, everybody has a story to tell yeah. and it can be used to inspire others. And I don't think that can be understated. No, you're right. And, you know, it's interesting because I, my surgeon and a lot of people in, in the hospital too talked about, you know, things of like positivity and hope that like legitimately have results and outcomes. Uh, it, it's hard to quantify that in the numbers, but they, they have yeah. noticed over the years that people with a better outlook and positivity do have better outcomes than people that have a negative and a, you know, everything is against them. So really you have that choice in the beginning of your fight. Everybody does. I mean, we all have that choice every day, um, like on the, on the micro level of every choice we have, not everything is cancer or a scary disease, but um, we all have that choice and we can choose to face it head on and overcome with positivity or the other. Yeah. What does it mean to you looking back on the last 18 years of uplifting athletes um, you know, and, and for your dad's legacy too, what does that mean to you? You know, I think, and, and you know, part of the story that, that you, you know, is I had my dream job. You know, I spent the first 18, 20 years of my life thinking that, you know, I knew what was best and I had a plan and I got an engineering degree and I went to yeah. work for, you know, the biggest contractor in the U.S. and uh, was on a great path uh, to rise quickly to the top and, and God had other plans. And yeah. as an entrepreneur, not, not everything makes sense if you're trying to be rational about, you know, probability and predictability. Yeah. And, but um, sometimes when, when it's on your heart and when, um, you know, and when there's, there's clear signs that, that 
you're being called to do something, um, you know, I, I, I just kind of answer that call. And I, and I think, you know, my dad's legacy uh, has has been really perpetuated as a result of that, but it's not yeah. the primary focus of why I do what I do. Yeah. Um, but, you know, it's kind of cool to see how that plays out in other aspects of our life. Um, I don't think you've been to our house, uh, but when we were discerning whether we should buy this land to build this house, uh, we were standing on the curb waiting to write the deposit check for the um, for the developer, and it was a flip of a coin. And it didn't really make rational sense to us, but I wanted to live in this school district because this is where my dad taught, and this is where people know him, and this is where our my wife and my children can get to know his, his yeah. story. And, and as the developers walking down the street and we're, we're trying to decide, are we doing this or not? A guy walks by, um, he's walking two dogs, two little Dotsons. He's wearing a t-shirt with my dad's picture on it, you know? And, and it's, it's just wow. stuff like that, that, you know, when, when you need answers, sometimes um, they can be, they can be <laughs> delivered right in front, you know, Right in front of you. Oof, that gives me the chills. Yeah, that's a what a what a sign. I mean, what a you can't ask for a yeah. more clear sign than that. Yeah. <laughs> and and the backstory there is pretty cool too. I mean, uh, the guy that was wearing it uh, was a janitor at the school. I didn't I didn't know him. I didn't know him at the time. Um, but my dad, uh, because of his upbringing, um, he always took all of his extra T-shirts from from his baseball season and gave them to the. Uh, to the janitors and the maintenance crew and stuff at okay. the end of every season. And um, the coach that took over for my dad continued to do everything that he did. And um, so this t-shirt was a leftover t-shirt from the Memorial golf tournament that the new coach had in my dad's memory. And then he gave the leftovers to the janitors and the, and the maintenance uh, guys. Wow. So. Oh, that's a cool story. Yeah. That's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. I think uh, I, I definitely think Scott, I mean, not to get too deep in here, but I, I know that, and I'm sure you know this too, but I'm sure your dad would be really proud of what you've done um, in, in his honor, and you chose to let that empower you and challenge you, so great job for that. Yeah, I appreciate that, and I, you know, he never let me doubt that he was proud of me, so I, I know. Yeah, I'm sure. I know that he is. Yeah, that's yeah. awesome. A lot of you have probably heard of Audible.com. Uh, I've used Audible for the past seven years. I've read over 80 books. I actually learned from a friend, if I've been listening to books 30% faster, so I do the, use the 1.3 times faster and it's just a way to kind of get books faster with my efficiency brain. But it, it helps me, you know, it's amazing. I, I love to stay connected, informed, uh, and inspired by audible.com. So you can sign up for your free 30-day trial of Audible Premium Plus at audibletrial.com slash makeimpact. That's audibletrial.com slash makeimpact. Happy listening. When you started doing those um, fundraisers in the beginning, did you, did you imagine that uplifting athletes would become what it is today? Um, yes and no. I mean, we had big, big dreams, big hopes, um, big plans. And, uh, you know, I think it became something similar, but different from what yeah. we had initially imagined. But a lot of that is just kind of operational risk, understanding how the world works. You know, our original vision was, let's get this lift for life on ESPN, hmm. you know, and every college is participating at the same time, kind of like a world's strongest man competition, hmm. you know? So we, we certainly had that vision, but hmm. didn't necessarily understand how the world of media worked. Yeah. Didn't understand, you know, a lot of the, 
the challenges um, associated with a plan like that. So we ended up kind of going about it a different way. And I think in the end had an even bigger impact. Yeah, that's amazing. And I, you know, it's interesting. I'm sure as you look back uh, over the last 18 years, you can pinpoint challenges and, and I mean, you know, nonprofit over, you know, through the recession and through even the <laughs> pandemic and all these things. But I and, lo- and, and, the, and the Sandusky scandal too. Oh my State. goodness! I mean, yeah. that's what I, I say. This is kind of my third act with the pandemic right now. Hmm. I didn't think about that because because kind of the the beginnings was at Penn State in your football career there. Yeah. I, I I love to know. Are there any big moments uh, that stick out that like are lessons that you can share with our listeners about how you kind of you know, fought through fear or fought through challenges, anything that you can share with us? Yeah. And I think whether it's a nonprofit or really any entrepreneurial journey, you have to be willing to do the things that people won't. When you have to make something happen, you have to get yourself in a position to, to make a play. Um, and you know, the one story that I, uh, well, actually the, the, there's two similar stories kind of in that vein. Um, the first one is that whenever I made the decision to leave my job and start up with the athletes, I was trying to recruit big schools to join us. So hopefully little schools would follow. Mm. I had a little bit of, a little bit of margin um, to kind of figure this out, but the rare disease community embraced us and, and the big college football community was, was kind of resistant to us. And there was one school, um, they were, you know, a top five program at the time. And I took them all the way to plan their first Live for Life event. And then at the end, they said, okay, now we're going to, we're going to benefit something other than rare, rare diseases because, you know, rare diseases don't matter, basically. Mm. And, and I said, well, yeah, I had to find somebody else that would do it our way quickly. And um, I was in Dallas and had a conversation with an athletic director from Colgate, um, David Roach. And he said, look, um, why don't you go see the kids? we got good kids up up at Colgate, why don't you go see them and see if, if they'll, they'll do something with you. Um, so it was a, it was a pretty big shift in our strategy Okay. Uh, to, to work with a small school. Yeah. Um, but I, when I returned from Dallas, um, I, rather than coming home, uh, I got in my car at Harrisburg and drove four hours up to Hamilton, New York to meet the kids at Colgate, met them at a coffee shop and um, kind of talked them through everything. And by the yeah. time I got home, they had, already gotten all of the permissions, all the approvals, had their first event set up in the four hours it took me to get home. Um, you know, and I think a lot of people might not have taken that trip. You know, it was, you know, it could have been a fool's errand, but to me it was, you know, it was, the only risk was eight hours of, of my day that was lost and, and the potential outcome, you know, the opportunity cost was far, far greater than that. Similarly, uh, when Mark Herzlick was diagnosed at Boston College, mm. Um, similar story. I had tried and tried and tried to get through to somebody at Boston College to work with them. Okay. I later found out that we were competing with Lance Armstrong Foundation, the Jimmy V Foundation, American Cancer Society. And finally, um, one of the players at Boston College reached out to one of the players at Penn State to see if they could get involved with uplifting athletes. So again, I hopped in the car and drove up there six hours yeah. to, meet, to meet this kid. And we walked through the halls and we knocked on all the doors and when the request was coming from a player, um, you know, it got a different response. And, and ultimately, we ended up being the, the ones who were able to work with the, with, with the team and the university on the BCV Cancer Initiative uh, that, that was really kind of a pivotal point for, for uplifting athletes. But, well, you know, again, without, without showing up, without kind of putting myself in a position to make a play, 
I don't think that ever happens. I think a lot of uplifting athletes beyond that looks different. Um, so, yeah, you know, you have to be willing to take chances. You have to, you have to look at the opportunity cost and, and, you know, do things that are a little uncomfortable sometimes do things that oh yeah you might not want to do. Yeah, no, that's true. I mean, if, if it would be easy, everybody would be doing it, right? I mean, it's, it's not easy. It takes grit. It's, it's hard. Um, yeah, that's, that's great advice. So then, you know, you decided that, uh, the challenge of a nonprofit wasn't challenging enough. You wanted to go to the startup world, right? So, so no, I'd love to hear that story, not trying to, trying to make light of it, but it's, it's a big decision, yeah. I'm sure. And I'd love to hear kind of that, that transitional moment for you and, and, you know, what it takes to kind of run a startup as well. Yeah. So it, it wasn't that I felt like uplifting athletes wasn't challenging enough. Again, kind of uh, <laughs> yeah. back to my, my earlier comment, I, I, I really kind of had a calling, you know, so Devin Still, who had gone through the uplifting athletes program, uh, literally called and said his daughter had been diagnosed with neuroblastoma, uh, which is a rare disease. Um, so I said, and he asked if we could help him raise money. And I suggested we, we run a SAC cancer campaign um, so that he could focus on family and football and Bengals fans could pledge for every sack and that he and his teammates have, and they could raise money um, to help other families kind of in a similar situation, but less fortunate than, than him. And uh, he liked the idea, but we couldn't find any product on the market that could automate that, um, automate that process, secure the pledge, you know, charge a card in the future based on a variable outcome. Um, so, yeah. you know, again, kind of with, with the theme of doing things that, you know, other people won't decided we were just going to make it for him. And um, two days after his campaign launched, uh, Philip Rivers called uh, from the Chargers and said, hey, I saw what you're doing with Devin. Can I use budget for the Ronald McDonald House? And then Alex Gordon called and said, hey, you know, hmm. my team, the Royals, were playing in the World Series. I'd like to use budget for uh, the yeah. Team Jack Foundation. So we were kind of the dog that caught the fire truck in that first year. And I was now I found myself running a startup. Um, and I and I joke that um, – I've kind of done the whole startup thing backwards. I, you know, I had investment before I had a product. We had customers before we had, you know, like everything yeah. has been kind of backwards in, in a good way. Yeah. But, um, but I was running both organizations and it was time for me to move on to focus on Pledget because Pledget gave us an opportunity to, to really with, with scalable technology, the, the impact of Pledget has no boundaries. Yeah. Um, you know, so uh, we created this do-it-yourself um, software platform for people to use the power of sport for good and it's cause agnostic and what i underestimated was uh, how fulfilling it would be to empower others to rally their community around their cause because i benefited from my community rallying around me for all those years mm. so um you know it really kind of reached the point that i knew i made the right decision uh, when i woke up one morning and saw that bismack biombo um he was a six man with the Raptors at the time hmm. had created a rebound challenge because he wanted to use his boards to rebuild a school in the Eastern Congo that had been devastated. Wow. And that happened while I was asleep. That happened without me driving to Toronto that yeah. happened, you know, like it just, you know, we're providing tools that empower people to make a difference. And, yep. and, that, and it, it's, it's infinitely scalable. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, it's now, I mean, it's tens of millions of dollars in impact, thousands of different causes. And, um, you know, it just gets better every day. Yeah, that's amazing to hear that uh, very organic kind of transition for you to, to that moment. I mean, that's pretty neat. And, and, you know, also you guys saw that need and you realized that you can 
let's just try it, right? Let's just do it. I mean, I think, was there a moment in the beginning where you even second guessed trying to create Pledget or was it just, it just felt like the right thing? It was something that I knew uplifting athletes needed. So I knew that we would always have a need for it. Um, what's been interesting about Pledget and, and certainly being in this region is that we did get a seed investment right away um, from a, a guy who uh, was in New York. He's a super angel, um, kind of was introduced to him from my network as we were trying mm-hmm. to figure out how to build this thing that we committed to build for Devin. And um, so we've raised significant capital for this region in a company. Um, so the initially, there was really no question about if we wanted to do it, you know, yeah. but we, we, uh, we have really high growth expectations, um, to create venture scale returns. And, you know, that's where, that's where the challenge has really been. Um, you know, it, as a lifestyle business, sure, it's neat and fun and it can yeah. be organic as a venture backed business where we have to scale, we have to be very intentional and very strategic about the decisions that we make. And, mm. uh, we've actually just shifted our, our business strategy, uh, this year, um, around the idea that, um, the B2C product, uh, the crowdfunding product, where it's an individual raising money yeah. uh, is great. But uh, we're building our business and we retooled our platform around the concept that uh, the nonprofit is really the customer. And the nonprofit uh, creates multi-participant events and they go out and they recruit thousands of people to raise money for them rather than us just being mm. available for random individuals to raise money for random causes. So that that business will continue to exist because it, you know, it, it operates at a, you know, um, you know, we say they're on un- unassisted organic campaigns. So they're pure, pure margin for us. Mm-hmm. Uh, but we can't, we can't scale that side of the business as easily as we can um, with a business to business approach. So that's a good idea. So you've, you've done um, a lot of great things in your career over the last 18, 20 years. Why do you do what you do at the end of the day? Um, yeah, it's a good question. I mean, it's certainly, certainly not for money. Um, you know, my wife and I talk about that all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, she has really been the breadwinner um, for the last five or six years and has been able to support the family while I pursue these, pursue these passions. And, um, you know, there could be a, a, a great outcome for us, um, you know, being in a software startup, uh, but it's not guaranteed. Um, yeah. So you can't do it for that. Um, you know, but at the end of the day, it is that, uh, that fulfillment I get from, from empowering others, um, to make an impact and to inspire people with hope. I mean, th- those two things are what, what drive every professional decision I've made. Um, yeah. you know, since I left my, my job as an engineer. Well. So if someone's listening and, and says, I, you know, I want to make an impact, but I don't, you know, I don't own a business or I don't, uh, you know, I'm not the founder of a nonprofit or I don't have the, even the skill set to do those things. What advice would you have for them that, you know, for them to make an impact in their everyday lives? Yeah. You know, that's actually one of my favorite questions. Um, because early on, uh, somebody shared the Aristotle quote with me, uh, where your talents meet the needs of the world, therein lies your calling. Mm. And, 
you know, I, I caution people that we don't all need to start a nonprofit. We don't all need to be doctors. We don't all need to be nurses. We don't all need to be, you know, and if we just do, if we, if we use our natural talents and then our natural talents, the best of our ability, yeah. uh, we're going to make the world a better place. You know, the work that you do is no, no more, no less noble than the work that I do. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's, you know, maybe the work that I do is more overtly charitable, but yeah. you know, I, I said at the beginning of this podcast, your telling of our story has inspired people with hope. Um, and you know, without, without, you know, without doctors, you know, people, you know, are not going to be able to get better, yeah. but without builders, people aren't going to have homes to live in and without, yeah. you know, and without politicians, you know, there's not going to be laws that help, you know, I mean, every job matters. And yeah. I think the important thing is to, to find what you're good at, find what you're passionate about and do it with all of your heart and mm-hmm. trust that it's making the world a better place. That's great. No, that's huge advice. I love that. I think uh, for whatever reason, there's so many th- times that we don't understand kind of the influence that we have, even if it's just with our family and our neighbors and our kids or, you know, we all have the opportunity to be impactful with uh, doing yeah. the best that we can do and being, be- you know, becoming better versions of ourselves every day, you know? Yeah. I mean, it's, you know, in sports after 9-11, they honored um, first responders for years and now they're honoring teachers. And, mm-hmm. you know, I think it's a shame sometimes that it takes events for people to say, wow, that, that job really does matter. Yeah. Or, you know, and I think there's so many jobs that are undervalued, underappreciated and, yeah. and, you know, there's just, and, and even, even down to, you know, your role in the home as a parent and, yeah. and you know, as a spouse and all of those things. I mean, every day, everybody has an impact on whether the world is a better place to live or not. That's good. That's true. Well, thank you so much, Scott, for your time. We'll wrap up here. I really appreciate your insight and, uh, your willingness to chat and it's always good to just hang out you know even if it is for a short yeah. time and get to get to hear about the newest things i mean uh in your life and your family's life yeah yeah no i um i miss you guys it's uh, I know. it's been too long thanks for listening to this episode of make impact if you feel impacted by our show please rate review and subscribe so you don't miss an episode follow our journey on instagram at make impact podcast Make Impact is hosted by Derek Diener, written by Letitia Kreider, and produced by Letitia Kreider and Grace Wagner. Zachary Bangert and Aaron Diener edit the episodes, and Lisbeth Byler is our marketing manager. Make Impact is brought to you by Make Films, a team of filmmakers producing meaningful content to inspire and motivate. Learn more at makefilms.cc. Until next time, be kind to one another and make an impact.